series about building your dream and living the life you've always wanted. Amen. This is our year for that. And so the text is from James 4 and 14 for what is your life? What a question. Insofar as repositioning yourself for the future is concerned, this is a question that is vital and necessary if you're going to position yourself effectively for tomorrow. It was Socrates who said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And that means several things, but certainly among those things that it means, it means at the least that we should be taking a look at our lives and where we are right now in relationship to where we someday hope to be. If you don't examine your life, you're never going to get to where you need to go. The unexamined life is not worth living. That's why so many people live lives of emptiness and mediocrity and frustration, and that is not what God wants. Look at your neighbor and say, you were made in the image and likeness of God. Would you do that? Now, what do you think of when you think of God? Made in his image? Well, he doesn't have a physical image per se that we can say he looks like this because God is a spirit, right? So we have to identify his attributes. What are his attributes? The name Jehovah means the self-existent and all-sufficient and eternal one. He is self-sufficient. Anybody ever hear about God sending out a, a letter asking for funds? He never runs out of resources. You're made in his image. You're not supposed to run out of resources either. Ever hear about God being sad? Uh-uh. He is the very essence of the fulfillment of life. You're made in his image. Your life is supposed to be fulfilling. This is literally what Jesus meant when he said that he came to give us life, that we may have it more abundantly. He came to restore the image that Satan had stolen from mankind. We are made in God's image and in his likeness. And for you to reflect who God is and therefore for him to get glory. Your life needs to be blessed in every way. And look at this in Jeremiah 24, 6 through 7. For I will set my eyes on them for good. And I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. Then I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people. And I will be their God and they shall return to me with their whole heart. That's a verse that you ought to be praying every day in the first person. God, you will set your eyes on me for good. You will bring me into my promised land. You will build me and not pull me down. You will plant me and not pluck me up. You will give me a heart to know you, that you are the Lord, and I will be your child, and you will be my God, and I will come to you with my whole heart. That's what you ought to be doing with Scripture. These are incredible promises, and this is the word of God for this church. That's why when Lloyd sent me that text this morning, I mean, my ears perked up. I like, oh, hello, you know. Revelation 12 and 11, and they overcame him. The him here is the enemy. 
by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. The enemy is opposing what God is wanting to do in our lives for you to cause what God has spoken over you in eternity to move from the heavenly sphere into this present realm of this present moment. You've got to overcome the enemy that is actively opposed to trying to keep that from happening. And how do you do that? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. Somebody say amen. These are the two strategic tools that God has given us. This is why if you're not saved, you need to get saved. Because God has spoken a destiny over your life when you were created. But there's an enemy opposing you, and you will never be able to be who you were supposed to be without the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. And again, the word testimony here means evidence. It comes from the Greek. The Greek word actually used in the original is a word that means evidence or a report that is given by a witness as in a judicial case. It is sworn testimony affirming what is true. So they overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by affirming themselves what was the truth? What is the truth? It's what God has spoken. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will now not only let an anointing come upon your word, but perhaps even more importantly, an anointing upon the hearers to be able to receive your word. We want it to move inside of us and rattle around like, like marbles in a tin can. Not let us rest until it has altered our lives and conform them to express what your word is declaring our lives should be like. Don't let us just be people who are entertained and, and, and placated by hearing the word of God and content to go home with nothing being changed. Let your word profoundly impact us in a way that alters our lives forever. For your name's sake, in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. So we've been talking about the steps, and I will be for the next several weeks, that you must take in making your dream become a reality. And for your, your dream, the life you've always wanted to live, to become a reality, you've got to go through a process. There are several steps that you have to take. You cannot omit any of these. Number one, you've got to see it, and that has to do with vision. You must have a clearly articulated vision and picture of where you're going to go. Number two, and I'll talk about this again today, is you've got to say it. You've got to decree it. That's that thing that is the word of your testimony. Not just the blood of the lamb. Too many people just pleading the blood but not declaring by the word of their testimony what God has already spoken over them. And then thirdly, you've got to pray it. You need God's help in getting to where you're supposed to be. Somebody has said that if you ever feel that God has asked you to do something that you can get done by yourself, it probably wasn't even God talking to you. Because God doesn't partner with, with little projects. He, he comes up with God-sized dreams that you're going to need his partnership to accomplish. 
After you have prayed it, you need to pay it. Nobody succeeds in any endeavor in life, whether it's in arts or sports or it's in economics, finance, education, ministry, relationships. Nobody ever succeeds unless they pay the price to get there. There's a price to be paid. Make no mistake about it. And you can't miss that day either. If you're going to get there, you've got to show up and you've got to pay it. You also have to play it. When I come to this part of the message, I'm actually going to have somebody help me uh, preach that part of the message who is one of our members, Patrick Guide. He's been in Veterans Hospital now for a number of years, and he speaks and communicates through a computer because he has Lou Gehrig's disease. And you don't get to choose which particular hand you play. You can't look over at somebody else's shoulder and say, I'll play their hand. Here, God, you can have mine back. You play the hand that's dealt to you. And then you got to stay it. You can't opt out two-thirds of the way through the course and say, well, I did pretty good. I almost made it. Almost is not good enough. And then after you get there, you have to sanctify it. So today we're talking about you've got to see it. You've got to keep I'd rather say it. We've spoken about you've got to see it. Now you've got to say it. And you have to keep on saying it. And keep on saying it. You've got to continue to articulate your dream, your vision. You've got to say it over and over to yourself. And the reason is, as I said last week and the Sunday before, your dream, or the week before John Kelly was here, your dream often comes disguised as a challenge. Nearly every time your dream comes disguised as a challenge. Your miracle what you're hoping for will come in a form that makes you think it's a problem. And you have to learn how to look beyond the problem to the potential that, and the promise that's in the problem. And all of these challenges that come will try to distract you. And you've got to keep saying it over and over no matter how great the challenge is. And the one thing that all who succeed in life have in common regardless of the area they succeed in, is they have learned to change, listen to this, their self-talk. Because all of us are programmed a certain way in a fallen world. Fallen world, fallen people, ruled by a fallen Lord. We've been brought up in a world that engenders death, declension, and destruction. And you have to reprogram yourself. And people who succeed have mastered that art. They've learned to change their self-talk. On the other hand, people who do not succeed, or to put it more bluntly, people who fail, always share one common characteristic. Their self-talk is negative. They don't even realize it, but they give away who they are and also speak into existence their own future by the negative things they say. You not only have to say it if you want your dream to become a reality. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got to say it again and again and again. Would you do that? You've got to keep repeating your dream over and over, no matter what challenges arise. Unfortunately, Boudreaux had lost his eyesight temporarily in an oil field accident. And he had his friend... Thibodeau bring him over to the medical center in Houston for an appointment with his eye doctor. 
And so they came over in the evening and checked into a hotel at the med center. And they got in, and it was a little bit early in the evening, so the restaurant hadn't opened, but Boudreaux was hungry. So they went down, and they found that they were serving in the bar area, but the restaurant itself hadn't opened yet. And there was a convention in town, and so the bar area was actually quite crowded, other people waiting for the same thing. And so Boudreaux let his, uh, Thibodeau led his friend Boudreaux over, and the only two seats were two bar stools at the bar, and they both sat down, and they were waiting for the waiter to come and give them the menus so they could place their order. And while they're sitting there, Boudreaux, who is temporarily blind, says out loud to all of the, the conventioneers that are around him, would you like to hear a blonde joke? And it gets really, really quiet. Now, like Cajun jokes, I'm entitled to tell blonde jokes because I was blonde when I was a little guy. Amen. And in a hushed voice, the guy next to him says, before you tell that joke, sir, you need to know something. The waiter at the bar is blonde. The bouncer is blonde. I'm six foot tall, 200 pounds, and a black belt. The guy sitting next to me is 6'4", weighs 245, and he's a Texans football player. The fellow on the other side is 6'5", he's pushing 300, and he's a wrestler. Each one of us is blonde. That's five blondes. Think about it, mister. Do you still want to tell that joke? And Boudreaux says, nah, Shaft. Not if I'm going to have to explain it five times. But regardless of what Boudreaux wants to do or not, you got to keep saying it. I want to talk today from the subject conversations you need to have with yourself. Let's look at a familiar passage in the Bible, Exodus 14, 10 through 16. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid and the children of Israel, watch this, cried unto the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is not this the word of the Lord that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? What a statement. My God, leave me alone so I can be a slave. Didn't we tell you to leave us alone so we could serve? It's better to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. All believers know this story. We all know how that God parted the waters of the Red Sea. But there's a part of this story that Christian believers have never heard. If I were to mention the name Nashon, is there anybody here who knows who that person is? 
anybody, even one. No, I didn't think so. I was shocked to learn who he was myself. Students of the Bible know this story, and I'll mention just a few of the details here, and then I'll move on to the guy, Nashon, that I want to tell you about. Most students of the Bible are fully aware that when the children of Israel came to the Red Sea, they cried unto the Lord. But look what God said to do. Go forward. Some people are praying when they ought to be acting. I'm praying for a breakthrough. Maybe God wants you to do something about having a breakthrough. You're saying don't pray? No, that's not what I said. It's kind of like that old saying used to be, uh, used, they used to have years ago, praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. Or my grandmother used to say it like this, son, you need to put some legs on those prayers. Some people pray and wait for God to do what he is in, and sent them to do. You understand? What he's asking them to do. God won't do it all for you. And once they prayed and their prayers were not answered, for God said, move forward, and instead they're just staying there, standing there praying, guess what they did? They turned against Moses and started complaining. Didn't we tell you to leave us? I knew this wasn't going to work out right. We told you, leave us where we were. Let us be slaves. Some people don't want to go through the effort necessary to make a change in their life. And then you, you know what happened? happens, they get upset at people around them and blame them. Moses, it's your fault. Wait a minute. Did you forget that you've been a slave? Did you forget that just a few hours ago that you were a slave in Egypt and your daddy was a slave and your grandpa and your great-grandpa and your great-great-grandpa? What's the matter? This man is trying to help you. I've often seen people in their frustration get upset at the things in their life that were fixed and good. I'm going to leave this woman. Your woman's not your problem. The problem is, is you got something going on inside. Am I helping anybody right now? What was that Johnny Paycheck song years ago? Take this job and I ain't working here no more. Not the job's problem. It's you. Because, and I don't mean to, I, I, I started preaching this at the first of the year, so if anybody thinks I'm talking about their personal situation, I'm not. But I just want you to understand this. No matter where you go, it's going, no matter where you are, there you are. It's still you. And if the problem is in here, changing the job and changing the wife and you know, that's not going to help anything. They got upset. And notice they overlooked the fact that the reason the challenge was there because it was their miracle coming in disguise. You see, if they had just gone straight into the promised land and Pharaoh had not been dealt with, guess what would have happened? Pharaoh would have come to the promised land looking for them. Because it happened later in Israel's history that that very thing did occur. What God wanted to do was get rid of Pharaoh once and for all so that they, their children, their grandchildren, and great-grandchildren would never have to deal with that problem. So they thought it was, they thought that the Red Sea was a challenge. It wasn't. It was a miracle in disguise. God was going to open the Red Sea and then close it and kill Pharaoh and all of his army 
so they would never have to deal with these Egyptians ever again. Am I helping anybody? I'm talking to some folk that if you ever get over what you're walking through, God's not going to let your children or grandkids ever have to deal with that as long as they live. That's why you need a breakthrough. Because the break, oh, I got a word for you. The breakthrough is not just for you. It's for your children and your grandchildren. You're going to break some things that are going to bring deliverance to your family for generations to come. Somebody's going to live in a state of blessedness as a result of what's happening in your life. Amen. They were only 21 days away from the promised land. If you've ever been to that part of the world, you get the idea they had to journey since it took them 40 years, that they had to journey all the way from Nome, Alaska, down to, you know, Buenos Aires, Argentina. They didn't. They just, they, 21 days. And actually, 21 days was how long it took if you walked at the pace of a small child. 21 days away from their promised land with wells already dug, houses already built, vineyards already planted, barns already full, they get discouraged. You don't know how close you may be to your breakthrough right now. Look at somebody and say, you're closer than you realize you are. Would you do that? You're nearer to building your dream than you, than you are aware that you are. But then they began to express concern. Here's what happened. One guy named Nashon, who is mentioned in the Bible, he was a direct descendant of Jacob's son, Judah. Many of the kings of Israel were actually his direct descendants. He's one of the faithful leaders of Israel during the time that Egypt came out of the promised land. He was one of the few that remained faithful, uh, came out of uh, Egypt, rather, and journeyed to the promised land through the wilderness. He was one of the few that remained faithful. Numbers 2 and verse 3, when God gave instructions as to how they were to, that was a word for you, wasn't it? Amen. Amen. That was a word for you in Jesus' name. And... When God gave them instructions as to how they were to plant their, to place their tents and encamp, in Numbers 2 and 3 it said, On the east side toward the rising of the sun, those of the standard of the forces with Judah shall count according to their armies. And Nashon, the son of Amminadab, shall be the leader of the children of Judah. You might not realize who he was, but he was the head of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And a little bit more information. His sister, Elisheba, was married to Aaron, who was the high priest of Israel and the brother of Moses. This is who Nashon was. Now, the Midrash is a compilation of, of the commentaries of the rabbis on the stories that we have in our Bible. You see, our Bible can't contain all of the stories. Even John said that. If they contained all the stories of what Jesus did, the world itself could not contain the books that would have to be written, is what John said. So we have the Word of God that is, that, is, that is given to us by the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of God. And then there are other, many other books that have been written that provide helpful insight into the inspired Word of God. The Midrash is one of my favorite places to study. You have never heard the name of Nashon. But there is no such thing as an Orthodox Jew who has not heard his name. They all know the story I'm about to tell you. Because the Midrash is the compilation of 
the writings of the rabbis who were contemporaries and lived back in those days. And they said that while all of Israel was praying, oh God, oh God, and then they got mad and started cussing Moses and saying, told you we shouldn't be out here. You should have left us alone. One guy turned around and looked at them and said, hey, hey, guys, we're only a short distance from the promised land. God said to go forward and he would make a way in our enemies that we see today. You see that enemy? We won't ever see it again. And they ignored him and continued to shout and murmur toward God and Moses. Nashon, who the Midrash says could not swim and was terrified of water, walked out into the water and said, let's go, and started walking, and nothing happened. Moses had stretched out his rod, and nothing had happened, because as part of what was required to make that happen, Moses had to stretch out his rod, and the people had to move forward. But nobody but Nashon moved forward. He got up to his knees, and his waist, and his chest, and he kept walking, until the water reached his nose. And according to the Jewish rabbis, when he re well, the water reached his nose, the, wa the water started rolling back. They call him Nashon the Initiator. And if you have any Jewish friends, ask them who Nashon the Initiator is. Because he stepped out in faith when everybody else wanted to do nothing but complain. And I can hear this is how it built. You see, at first, you, you, you know, the reason they said something out loud to Moses was that was negative was because they had been talking negative talk internally for a long time. Their problem was they had been in slavery so long, they had been programmed to think like slaves. And so I can almost hear their internal thoughts. They're looking at the impassable Red Sea. They turn around and see Pharaoh's armies behind them. And they're saying within themselves, oh my God, here comes Pharaoh. We're going to all die. I'm going to get killed out here. I can't cross through the Red Sea. I don't even know how to swim. We're going to die. Moses, why'd you bring us out here? And so suddenly... From among two and a half million people thinking the same thing internally, somebody screams, Moses, we're going to die. And it was like a dam of ne negativity that burst. And suddenly the whole nation was screaming against Moses. One man changed his self-talk. The reason people talk out loud the terms that were being used by Israel that day that were so negative is they've been talking it internally for a long, long time. One person started a landslide. I want to ask you, what kind of conversations are you having with yourself? Because what you're saying on the inside is going to manifest itself on the outside. Amen. Somebody in the building say hallelujah. And so Israel began to pray instead of moving forward. Prayer's good, but sometimes you need some action along with your prayers. And here's what happens when your self-talk sometimes is incorrect. You excuse your self-talk by saying, I'm going to go pray about it. You don't need to pray about it. You need to act on it. I'm preaching better than somebody's responding right now. Anybody out there want to help me just a little bit? 
Why are you praying about it when God said go forward? You think God's going to change his mind? After you get through praying, he's going to still be going. Are you going to go forward or not? God don't change his mind. To change his mind means he's made a mistake. And after upon reflecting uh, uh, as to his previous comments, he feels the need to correct what he said. I got news for you. God don't make any mistakes. And he doesn't need to change his mind. His word is forever settled in the heavens. Oh, heaven and earth shall pass away, but not one word God speaks shall fail to come to pass. His word does not return to him void. And so you might not realize that when you read this story, but what you hear them saying is actually a reflection of the self-talk that's been going on inside for so long. You see, your programming determines how you view and process the things that happen in your life. Most people do not realize that for God to move them from their present set of circumstances into their promised land, they've got to first change their internal programming. Oh, I do, I do I need to let that resonate just a little bit. You can't choose where you come from. You can't choose your past. It's already over. It's set in stone. You can't go back and change what happened yesterday. You don't get to select your parents or where you grew up or what your socioeconomic strata may have been in life. You can't do one thing about yesterday. But what you can do is change the way you look at your future. Amen. You see, the battle is not your finances. You say, my finances, I'm fighting over my finances. No, the battle is not in your finances. The battle is not in your marriage. The battle is not in your ministry. The battle is not even in your health. The battle is in your mind. You've got to change the way you think and look at life. When you're born, you're, you begin to be programmed from birth. We're told by science that when a child is born, it has only two natural fears. The fear of loud noises and the fear of falling. Everything else is programmed into that child over the course of its life as it begins to grow and mature. And your programming becomes your command center for the rest of your life. Your command center. What happens in your life is the direct result of the way you have been programmed. Your personal command center directs your decisions, your choices. It determines, therefore, your successes or your failures. There's somebody I'm going to show you just a couple of minutes of a clip from a video and he's been a very popular, he's a Christian author, very popular. And he's been on Oprah and a number of others, written some books that have been huge bestsellers. But the science of neurolinguistics is a science that is, to me, personally fascinating. It's the, it's the language that your mind has been trained to respond to. And his name is Dr. Shem... Um, Helmstetter, Shad Helmstetter, 
I want you to watch a little bit of this, if you would. Put it up there. Shad Helmstetter. The moment you were born, every single message you got, everything that was said to you, everything you heard, everything you saw, everything you did, everything you thought about, everything, every message you got was typed into your personal computer keyboard. That would be our five senses. And then those messages typed into your compu computer keyboard were recorded in, on your CD-ROM in your brain. So very much like a computer, every message that you got while you were growing up gets recorded and stored permanently in the brain. The reason that's important to know is that part of the brain that recorded all of those messages you got that part of the brain didn't know the difference between and doesn't know the difference between something that is true or false or right or wrong or positive or negative. Its job is simply to record all of those messages that we got from other people and then we began to repeat those exact same kinds of messages to ourselves, and that's called self-talk. There's something called the law of repetition and the law of repetition is the secret to the, to the secret of self-talk, and here's how it works. Every time you get a message and it's recorded again, it gets stronger. And then you get the message again, and it gets stronger still. So that those minor pathways in our brain that are being created by us getting different messages from the people around us, when those messages get repeated by someone else, and then to ourselves with our own self-talk, those pathways become roadways, and then the roadways become highways, and some of those highways become interstate highways, and those are the major programs that govern our lives. So whatever programs you have right now, that's who you are. That's who you've become. It, it's not that you were born that way. You were born with unlimited potential, but we become the programs that we get most. We all got programs. We all got programmed. You did, I did, we all got programmed. You say, what do I do about it? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12 and 2. Because to be successful and change your life and build your dream, you've got to change your personal programming and make your life different. Paul says in Romans 12 and 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by what? The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is he saying? You can't prove with your life what God's good, perfect, and acceptable will for your life was until you change your programming and renew your mind. You've got to get rid of some junk. You've got to press alt-delete on some stuff you got programmed with. You grew up, somebody saying, uh, how about this one? Mothers usually say this, and usually when they're angry, you're just like your father. And when they say that, they're usually not talking about the best attributes of the dad either. You're not going to turn out to be 
any good. What they're trying to do is call attention to things in your life that need to be corrected, but we oftentimes do not realize that by speaking those things the way we speak them, that what we're doing is reinforcing them, not removing them, not changing them. We're taking a little pathway and making it into a roadway and, and then an interstate highway. You hear what I'm saying tonight, uh, today? What I'm trying to communicate to you is you alone have got to renew your mind. God can't do that. I guess he could, but God chooses to give us our own sovereignty as individuals. Free will. Choose you this day whom you will serve is what he says. When he could have made every one of us serve him. But he gives us choice. And this is why Paul says, don't be conned and deforming the thoughts of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God's trying to work on us because he wants us to be a reflection of who he is. We're made in his image and in his likeness. And this is your year to build your dream and live the life that you've always wanted and let the world know how good God is in your life. Am I making sense to anybody? God wants you to be a living testimony. But for you to be a living testimony, you've got to give a testimony. The blood of the Lamb and the words you speak will change what's happening in your life and make you an overcomer. There's somebody out to try to keep you from ever fulfilling your destiny. This is the way the sequence works. Programming creates beliefs. Amen. When you're programmed, this is the sequence. It creates your beliefs. Your beliefs, in turn, create your attitudes. Your attitudes create your feelings. Your feelings determine your actions. And your actions create the results. If you want to change your results, you don't go to step number five and just try to change your actions. This is why if it's somebody on drugs, any counselor will tell you, you're going to have to go to a deeper level than just saying, don't do drugs. Somebody said, say no to drugs. Remember that program? How much good did it do? Not much. Because unless you go deeper than just action and you don't get to the programming, it's not going to really make much of a difference. If you're going to change the results in your life, you got to go all the way back to step number one and change the programming. Because when you change your programming, you change your beliefs. And that creates different attitudes. And different attitudes will cause different feelings and emotions, which in turn will determine different actions. And that will produce different results in your life. Now back to Israel at the Red Sea. They had been for 400 years slaves. And even though they were only 21 days away from their promised land, they voted to go back. You should have left us alone. We need to go back. Even out in the wilderness, there were a number of occasions when they said, we need to go back. Why? Because you can be only hours away from your promised land. But until you change your programming, your beliefs remain the same. 
your attitudes remain the same. Your feelings, your actions remain the same. And that means your results are going to be the same. I'm done, but I am fascinated by this fact that you can change your programming. The science of neuroplasticity, which is relatively new, states this. They used to think that once you were programmed, it was kind of like set in stone, and you had to live with whatever negative programming you had for the rest of your life. The latest science says no. You're, you can change it because your, your brain is more plastic than, than we realized. And they say that if, how do you change your programming? You say, you contradict, you, you speak against all of those things that, pe- that, that have been programmed into you, and you make yourself consciously aware of what you're saying to yourself, and you start making the right declarations over your life. You've got to do that. You've got to say it. You can't just think it. You've got to say it. I'm going to give you a few. I'll I'll finish this next week. But for example, here's one thing you need to say. I am special. I am a creation of God. He made me and placed me in this world for a purpose. I was born to succeed. God doesn't make junk or create failures. That's you he's talking about. Amen. God has never made a failure. He doesn't create junk. You've got to change your self-talk. And if Israel had done that, they would have come to the Red Sea and said, Wow, look how big God is, man. He's going to make a way right through that Red Sea. And when we go through, he's going to use it to kill Pharaoh. We'll never have to deal with him ever again. But they didn't see it because their programming was incorrect. What was a miracle in disguise, they saw only as a problem. I'm talking to people that are on the verge of a break.